Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious episode of the Exorcist Minute. While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my... something that rhymes with Exorcist Minute. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately author of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but, with mien of lord or lady, perched above my chamber door, perched above the bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this author, he, beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance he wore. Though thy face be white and whiter, thou, I said, art sure no spider. Ghastly grim and ancient writer wandering from the nightly shore, tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the writer. Alex Bledsoe. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to another episode of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we normally examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist, minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And I'm Alex Bledsoe. And we are still your holy guides on this journey through, oops, all bonus episodes as we stand in solidarity with the WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. And folks, you're in luck this week. That voice you heard was master storyteller Alex Bledsoe, author of many books such as the Tufa novels and the Eddie Lacrosse series. His newest novel, Dandelion, came out just last year, almost a year ago in October, and it features a subject near and dear to our hearts, that of demonic possession. We are excited to have him in here with us today. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed listening to the podcast, so it's a real treat and honor to be on it. Oh, it's a, a, a treats all around. Everybody, everybody, everybody gets treats, and you oops, get a treat. And all you treats. Get, oops, all <laughs> treats. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, yes, uh, we actually met Alex in our listener group on Facebook, uh, Compelling Conversations, and when we found out that he had written this unique take on uh, the possession and exorcism story, we rushed out to buy it. We read it, and I said to Keenan, we got to get this guy on the show, and yeah, so here we are. So, Alex, uh, I guess the, the first thing I want to ask you is what inspired you, what possessed you uh, to write a story like this? Well... My mother was going through some health issues before she passed, which meant uh -huh. I had to take a lot of trips back home to the small town I grew up in in Tennessee. Mm. When I say small, we're talking 300 people, mm. 200 of which were related to me, oh. which if nothing else limits your dating options yeah. or, or should. <laughs> but when i went back there you know I, I was driving around the town that i grew up in and the other little small towns in the area mm -hmm. and i was just appalled at what had happened to them they they all have enormous 24-hour walmarts now brand new state-of-the-art buildings ah. and the downtowns are gone the houses that used to be you know normal vibrant neighborhoods they're all either abandoned or being used for things that probably aren't entirely legal mm -hmm. and it, it just broke my heart to see all this and mm. it wasn't hard to make a leap from seeing the effect that big box stores have on small towns to thinking well if demons were looking for places to appeal to people's worst tendencies what better place than a big box store because uh -huh. people for the most part, people go there out of greed and convenience. You know, they don't mm. want to pay that little extra to help somebody who lives in their town. Mm. They just want to get it the cheapest they can. Mm. Now, so, you had written somewhere else that, like, uh, this was news to me, like the difference between the types of Walmarts that you grew up in the South uh, with during Sam Walton's lifetime and the ones that Lester and I are familiar with, the 24-hour. We were in Las Vegas. Or we grew up yeah. in Las Vegas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was news to me. So how was that different, um, you know, what we think of as a Walmart now versus the, the ones that were there when you were a child? Well, a Walmart back then was just another store. It wasn't – it was part of the, the landscape. It had mm. some things that you could only get there. It had some things that you, you know – you could probably make one trip instead of two, but mm. it didn't 
set out to wipe out all the competition, to wipe out everybody who had a small business the way that Walmart does now. Mm. And, you know, I remember going to Walmart and the grocery store and the pharmacy and all those on like, you know, one Saturday we would hit all these spots. And now you just go to Walmart because there's nothing else there. It doesn't matter if you want to go somewhere else. It doesn't matter if you want to support a local business. There aren't any to support. The only businesses that are thriving are other chain businesses like fast foods and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. sort of deletes the uh, the character of the individual towns, I suppose. Which oh, is, totally. Yeah, one totally. of your undercurrents, right? Like when you're being possessed, it's sort of you're no longer yourself, right? You're you're this oh. other thing. Ooh, I like that. It's just so depressing if you're mm. if you're like me and you're old enough to remember what it used to be. And I can't imagine what it's like for kids growing up in this because you know. There's nothing. There, the old skating rink's gone. The old bowling alley's gone. What you know? What do these kids do? Mm-hmm. There's you know. There's no arcades. There's nothing to get them out of the house. They so yeah. I was I, and I had to make you know probably a dozen trips over a two year period, and it just got more and more depressing. But mm-hmm. at some point in that, I thought I can I can write that story against this background. Uh-huh. So that's that's where the idea. The, the basic idea came from. I see. Okay. And and uh, folks, just to let you know, so I, I was kind of uh, not sure how much I should uh, give away about the story. Uh, but since you said it, yeah. So uh, so in, in this story, um, we have a, we have a small town that uh, is kind of overtaken by uh, this, uh, this 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 big box store, um, and uh, things are not what they seem. There's uh, some <laughs> sinister stuff going on in there. Yeah. Oh, this is the TLC Mart. Uh, I wanted to ask you, since we we read this, uh, um, you know, we don't hear your voice in it. Could you could you give us your version of the TLC jingle that we hear oh, uh, yes. okay. at TLC? <laughs> that is unfortunately not going to happen. <laughs> the, the amazing reader Stefan Rodnicki, who does my audio book, oh right, yes, mm-hmm. does a fine job of doing that. Okay, great. So, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Desperate to hear that. Can I can I give it a try, Alex? Would that <laughs> be all right? I would I would be honored if I could uh, if I could. Okay, wait. I have to find it. What is? I have to find page exactly one. What, page one. Yeah. <laughs> I have the audiobook, Keenan. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> you always find tender, loving care and the best prices anywhere at TLC Mart. Okay. You always find tender, loving care and the best prices anywhere at TLC Mart. <laughs> Yay. Oh How was that, Alex? It's that what you like imagined? you were reading my mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. Well, well, folks, we haven't great. said That's yet, great. but this episode is brought to you by <laughs> TLC Mart. <No. laughs> yes. We got, a, we got a, a, a discount on demons today. Um <laughs> <laughs> and to get, to get back to your original question, yes. the other thing that if you're ever going to write about the South, you mm. cannot do it legitimately. You cannot call call it a Southern story if it does not involve religion and race, because those things are in the DNA of the air down there. Yes. Interesting. So okay. almost all of the religious ceremonies that are depicted are memories. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And... Unfortunately, a lot of the attitudes that are depicted are much more recent memories than they should be. Right. I see. Okay. Mm. Right. I, I live part time in the South in, in Middle Tennessee. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Which is a lovely, you know, it's a, it's a, I don't think they would like hearing it, like a college town and a, um, and a car factory town. And so it has things going on. It's not, it's not a tiny place. It's, yeah, it's Mur- a medium Murfreesboro is not typical. Yes. It's, so, but, but even so, um, when, when you're down there, like I, I'm usually with people who don't have any faith and like the conversation often turns to religion and these are people who aren't religious themselves, you know, uh, like it seems to be unavoidable in the mm. South, uh, in a way that it isn't, you know, for me in Las Vegas or Los Angeles. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, actually, okay. That, that was, uh, one thing I did want to ask you, Alex. So like one of the, the most interesting things uh, to me about this story is that it looks at the idea of demonic possession and exorcism from a non-Catholic perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's unavoidable in our view of exorcism. And I guess like pop culture's view of exorcism is also colored by like a specifically like Catholic interpretation, right? Like I was raised Catholic and like even, mm-hmm. even on our show, I'm, I'm learning all about like the differences between, uh, the Catholic faith and then the other Christian faiths. Um, what are some of those main differences, like uh, the, the ones that you focus on in, in the story? Well, the big 
difference, I and, and this may be hard to imagine, but if mm. anything, Protestants see more demons out there than Catholics do. Mm-hmm. Huh. They see a demonic influence behind every bad habit, every bad action, because, and this, this is a broad brush, I admit, but it's because it absolves them of responsibility for it. Mm. You know, if you go out and you get drunk, it's because a demon got you to do it, not because you wanted to do it. Mm. So it's not really your fault. You just need, and they, they call it praying deliverance over somebody. Okay. Right. As, as, as opposed really to exorcism. As opposed right. to the right of exorcism. Right. right. The, the, you don't hear the word exorcism used as a thing that, that they're doing. Mm. You know, they know the word. They talk about it, but they, mm. they call it praying deliverance over somebody. And I say yeah. they. Again, big broad brush there. Mm-hmm. Protestant, you know, all the de- denominations are a little different. Right. But that's, that's kind of the difference is, you know, I think the Catholics, and again, broad brush, mm-hmm. Catholics tend to see demonic possession as something that is rare. Mm-hmm. And it's something that is often longstanding with an individual. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, mm-hmm. you've, if, you've, if you've read a lot of, about Catholic exorcisms, mm-hmm. there are people who, I mean, that's just one of the things they do every week. You know, they go to the grocery store, they pick up their laundry, they go and get an exorcism. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Because one, one time through with the rich, with the right is not enough. Right. Now, We've- We've experienced, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, I was just going to jump in and say we've experienced uh, stories um, kind of like in our research where, yeah, like like in Rome where like people would would almost go to these exorcists almost as if they were like doctors and they would just get their get their regular monthly exorcism or their or their their tune-ups. Yeah, their tune-ups, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's it's exactly like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. whereas, you know, like I said, Protestants, they will see demons in everything and Mm. you can get rid of a demon but another demon may come and get you. Hmm. You know, you, you, you have to be constantly vigilant. And, hmm. and again, it's, it boils down to that not having responsibility for your own flaws, hmm. which well, that, you know, and that gets into sort of the way particularly evangelical religion is practiced. Hmm. It's, it's very much an us against them, and them can be either Democrats or demons or as they probably think, that's the same thing. Right. Well, they, a lot of, um, well, maybe not a lot. I don't want to say that, but like there are, there are certain sections of um, evangelical republicanism where they, they use those interchangeably and they call yeah. them demon rats or the, the demon crats. Right. And then they, right. they have said that. So, so essentially like if you're, if you're against us, then it must be a demon. Right. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. as you're saying it, like, uh, I guess as someone who's more familiar with like the Catholic version of it um, and seeing it as, as like, okay, it's the existential, um, you know, the big bad of the world would be the devil who sends his minions to possess you. Uh, this is everywhere. So anything that is conceivably um, uh, a little evil is is a demon. Is that is that fair? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. That's 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 it. And and it's all designed to. Oh, I can't think of a better word. It's all designed to take away the purity of the believers. Mm-hmm. Okay. How, how do you mean that purity? Their pure love of God that would otherwise, if they weren't going and getting drunk all the time, or beating mm-hmm. their children, mm-hmm. or cheating on their wives, you know, they would be perfect Christians. Mm-hmm. But it's these demons mm-hmm. manifesting and telling them, you know, oh, no, you want to do this because otherwise mm-hmm. they're perfect. They would, they would be pure and, you know, and then and I'll grant you that's a little harsh and <laughs> a, lot, a lot colored by my own anecdotal experience. <laughs> Yeah, to someone who was, uh, we say, um, like, I was raised Catholic. You were raised Southern. Yeah. And you're, you're no longer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and folks, just to, yeah, just to let you know, I was like, I, I, I think the, the, the things that, uh, that Alex is saying, I think, I think all religions are, are, are guilty somewhat of this where, you know, we, we kind of, we kind of lean on it as a crutch, uh, you know, somewhat. Um, and, and. Yeah, like, uh, you know, this is not, you know, like Alex said, this is this is broad brush strokes here uh, we're using. This is this is based on his experience. Yes. And and I have known some very good evangelicals. Mm -hmm. They really they walked their walk. Mm -hmm. Not many, but I have known them. So it is possible. (laughs) Right. So Uh, I I don't want to I never want to say every of anything, you know, uh, 
But that certainly is the case of a lot of your characters as you're going into their minds in Dandelion, is, is that they mm-hmm. are, because you you let us know sort of how they see the world, and then um, even even within their first-person narration, you sort of are, are third-personing a little bit, and, and, and like showing how they're using religion, or how they're using um, mm. the entertainment aspects of religion, right? Like going right. to the Tent Revival, right? right? And why that might be beneficial to them, and um, in ways that they're not necessarily aware of their trauma, but you as the author are informing us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, if you can ever go to a Tent Revival, you should go. Mm. <laughs> I'm always worried like that they'd be able to sniff you out as someone who's there as an anthropologist rather than someone there as a believer, you know? No, no, that, that you're you're assuming that they think you are more important than they are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I guarantee you that's not the case. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking again of like demons being everywhere in these faith traditions, which is really interesting, uh, mm-hmm. that that is uh, something that that sets Dandelion apart from, say, Blatty's Exorcist, uh, mm-hmm. where where you let us know pretty early on that there is a um, uh, one demon that one of the characters is living with, but that there's another one out there who's an even bigger bad. Right. Mm. Well, and that let me see. How do I want to? Okay, I also wrote, have written vampire novels. Right. Mm, and right. anytime you write about vampires. At some point, you are going to butt up against Dracula. That yeah, is, yeah, yeah. That is the vampire novel. And everything right. you write is either, you know, the opposite of what's in Dracula or it echoes what's in Dracula. You just yeah. can't avoid it. You have to accept it and work with it. Right. And the same thing when you're writing about possession. You cannot avoid Blatty's book. That is, right. you know, that's the wall that you're bouncing against. Mm-hmm. So you're either yeah. You're either copying and trying to make it your own or you're doing the opposite and in response to it. And that's what I decided to do with this was I, you know, it's a, it's a novel about possession. I -hmm. didn't feel like I could be too coy about it. And I wasn't Mm -hmm. really interested in being coy because then I am just imitating Blatty. I don't Mm -hmm. want to say Blatty was coy, but you know, he was writing the, the initial popular exorcism novel. He Mm -hmm. blazed that trail and I wanted to go off that trail. So I had to do something different. Right. I, that was actually one of the questions that I wanted to ask. I mean, we, we were kind of, uh, we've kind of been beating around the bush uh, about it here, but like, yeah, we've already mentioned Blatty. Um, and yeah, no, Alex, you're right. I guess it is pretty impossible to talk about stories about demonic possession and exorcism without uh, mentioning him in his book. Um, and like you say, it, like it is the exorcism story um, that, that everybody knows. And I imagine it does cast a pretty big shadow for writers who also want to tell that story. Right. The brilliant thing about Blatty's book is Mm -hmm. that the great confrontation between good and evil happens in a bedroom Mm -hmm. and nobody else outside the house knows about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is why that story is so powerful. And you're not going to improve on that. You're Mm -hmm. never going to write that story better. Mm -hmm. All you can do is write it different. And so Mm -hmm. I, I took it out of the bedroom. You took it out of the bed, you put it on full display for the whole neighborhood. (laughs) Out of the bedroom and into TLC Mart. (laughs) Well, I wanted to show how it affected a community. We didn't even Mm -hmm. know they were being affected. Mm -hmm. Ah. And, you know, that was that was kind of that was a subtext. I didn't I wasn't even really aware it was a subtext until I was almost done with it and realized, mm. oh, yeah, that's I'm doing that, too. Mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. Writers very seldom know what they're actually writing. Right. right. We're trying yes. to tell stories and make them entertaining. And if we get lucky, our subconscious will help us out with things like the subtext. Yes. But, yeah. you know, bringing bringing it into, you know, the place where people go shopping and where it really, you know, that represents such destruction to the community. Mm-hmm. And then they, from there, not only do they take home these cheap, you know, goods that they've bought, they also bring home a demon. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the way it spreads in a community, and that can yeah. that's a metaphor, obviously, but. <laughs> <laughs> So it starts with your personal, you know, story of you going back and seeing your town you grew up in. And uh, you, you said in another interview that you didn't want to be Upton Sinclair, right? Or that you, <laughs> you could not be Upton Sinclair. You couldn't write um, a social treatise disguised as a novel, right? No, mm. no, no, not at all. And who would want that? Who would, who would want that? <laughs> well, I like Upton Sinclair, but yes, you. <laughs> yeah, but you couldn't do it, right? Which I thought was interesting. But but now that you've written it and you're, you're sort of seeing it as um, part of the fabric of what modern Southern writing is, right? You've mentioned like J.D. Vance's hillbilly elegy oh good you know (laughs) oh is that is that a uh is that a nerve that i've touched there (laughs) i will say i've read it so anything i say is based on having read it but uh, (laughs) smug 
faster. <laughs> we'll just we'll just kind of leave it at that. Okay. Have, okay. I have also, as he continues on after saying he's going to leave it at that, I have also <laughs> written books set in the mountains of Appalachia, mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm. just like hillbilly elegy. So. Mm-hmm. I know that territory as well. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And what he writes about is not the territory that's there. And it's not the people that are there. It might be very mm-hmm. specific versions of people in his family, mm-hmm. but you cannot draw a broader inference from that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like he tries to do. And oh, then, I see. Yes. Mm-hmm. And well, you know, ultimately I hope you can draw a broader inference from what I've written. Mm-hmm. Really. It just comes down to, I'm telling a story about these particular people with this particular conceit at the mm-hmm. heart of it. And I'm not necessarily trying to say anything about the, you know, the area as a whole. Right. It's mm-hmm. certainly not autobiographical. There are autobiographical details, but none mm-hmm. of the characters are based on anybody, you know, living or dead. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, okay, I want to jump onto this. So we just did a series on the real-life possession and exorcism case of uh, Robbie Doe, uh, the boy who inspired William Peter Blatty to write his novel. Um, And And Keenan and I— An excellent series it was. I really enjoyed that. Oh, Oh, thank thank you. you. Thank you very much. And yeah, in that series, Keenan and I had gone back and forth on whether or not that was a case of actual possession. It wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I mean, <laughs> so Alex, um, <laughs> I get, like, what is your take on, um, I guess my question is twofold. Mm-hmm. So firstly, what is your take on the reality of possession? And then also um, how it shows up in like society today? Okay, I'm kind of with Keenan on this. <laughs> I, I, you know, as, as you do when you start a story like this, you do a lot of research. And of course, right. mm-hmm. a lot of it was into the, the Robbie Doe case. And there's no there there. Mm-hmm. I think I think Keenan at some point said, you know, it's a bunch of priests who don't know anything about children mm-hmm. being around a, tip, a a 14-year-old boy who wants attention. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's at the heart of that. Mm. Now, as for possession in general, hmm, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a believer. I'm really ah. not. I, I I am agnostic on most things spiritual, although I do believe there is a spiritual level to existence, but I don't presume to understand who's there or what might be going on. Hmm. The interesting thing about it is, well, it's one of the interesting things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When I was doing this research, before Blatty's novel came out, Mm -hmm. most reported incidents of possessions were young boys. And Hmm. after Blatty's novel came out, it was girls. Hmm. Oh. And, and again, you know, this is self-reporting. <laughs> right, right. There's no, uh, there's no bureau. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Federal Bureau of Possession. Of, of possession yeah. <laughs> but, um, oh, where was I going with that? Um, okay. Yeah, it's girls. Yeah. It's girls in the seventies on. Mm. Um, Interesting. Almost universally, it's believers. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was one, again, one of the brilliant things Blatty did was to have it happen to a non believer mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that immediately establishes a level of reality that you don't get from somebody who already believes this is happening, who's, mm-hmm. who would have gone to a priest first instead right. of last. Mm-hmm. But if you look at reported possessions, it's always among believers. Mm-hmm. It's always, you know, that's one reason they all go to get exorcisms is because they already believe that they're possessed by demons. They, mm. they don't have, you know, their families believe it. There's a, right. are you familiar with the story of Annalise Michelle? Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm not. Ah, um, she was, uh, a, she was a German teenager yeah. who went through a horrendous exorcism ritual that ultimately resulted in her death. Oh no. And this was, mm-hmm. I believe in the, the, 70s or might have been in the 60s. And Keenan, we'll probably we'll probably uh, touch on that that specific case as well. We did oh, Robbie great. Doe, so we'll probably do Annalise Michelle too. Okay, yeah. wonderful. Well, yeah. the thing the thing about her is, it's not only did she believe she was possessed, and she fully did, but mm. her parents bought into it. They mm. bought the program. They supported the priests as they starved her, and mm. you know kept water from her as, in an attempt to try to get the the demon to leave. And there are some horrendous recordings of her mm-hmm. talking in a so-called demonic voice. Right. That it's easy to, you know, if you're already a believer, it's easy to believe. Yeah. But if you're someone who has even a passing knowledge of mental illness, 
then what you are hearing is, you know, a girl who's mentally ill being treated in completely the wrong way and it results in her death. Yeah. Like they, I, I, I've seen this uh, all over the place, like on YouTube, like doing research. It's like, here's the audio recording of Annalise Michelle, mm-hmm. and you won't believe how the mm-hmm. demon sounds. In the, and then you're like, that is, that shouldn't even be up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. That is a very distressed person mm-hmm. being abused. Yeah, it's. But yeah, it's just so sad to hear mm-hmm. that and to think mm-hmm. that, you know, and supposedly they did send her to doctors who gave her, you know, medicine to level out her moods and help with this, but they wouldn't let her stay on it. Mm. And she didn't want to stay on it because she believed she was possessed. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I see when I read about possession. I don't see evidence of the supernatural. I don't see evidence Mm -hmm. of, you know, incorporeal intelligences Mm -hmm. overriding someone's personality. I see mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're going to write about possession, you got to kind of, you know, it's like vampires. You've got to buy the the folklore. You've got to follow the mm-hmm. rules that are established. Mm-hmm. And there's there's some great stuff out there from strictly an entertainment perspective, which is terrible to say. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you find something like the Lesser Key of Solomon, that mm-hmm. book, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. the description of like the organization of demons and everything, mm-hmm. they sound like the DMV. <laughs> <laughs> It's that level of bureaucracy. But it makes you Not wonder, everyone's a duke. Everyone's a prince. Everyone's a marquee. It oh, makes you wonder great. how they accomplish any possessions. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's my horror story is going to the DMV. And, <laughs> and you, you get up to the front and they're like, you don't have the right form. And like, but I don't work here. I told that once to a lady and I yeah. felt really embarrassed. She was like, why do you have this formula? Because I don't work here. I said, I was so upset. <laughs> I said this to a woman. <laughs> Very embarrassed. <laughs> Who's the demon that can help me with this specific problem? You're going to have to fill out form D. You're going to have to fill out form 666. (laughs) Right. But just speaking of those rules or the conventions, you know, for this type of thing from entertainment story. So what are, Mm. where, what are those rules um, in, and where did you bend those or twist those in Dandelion? Uh, Or or were the rules something that you held on to? Well, the rules are, you know, any, any, Agree. Any possession is a, a legal agreement between you and the demon. You have mm-hmm. to allow the demon to take possession of you, mm-hmm. and that gives the demon certain rights mm-hmm. that cannot you cannot break that contract. You have to have it broken from an outside influence. Right. Mm-hmm. And, like with Robbie, Robbie has to say one word. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Until the Archangel Michael says it for him. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Ar- Ar- Archangel <laughs> Michael has a special clearance. Yeah. Um, can, yeah. <laughs> um, there are specific demons for specific aspects of personality. I mean, right. Uh, my favorite is the Jezebel demon, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. actually can be hundreds of demons, all named Jezebel and all designed to tempt men. Mm-hmm. Because men, I've never heard about that. Men, wait, are, wait, men are pure <laughs> and, you know, men are godly. Right, and if a woman woman distracts them, it's got to be because they, the men, not the women, the men are possessed by the spirit of Jezebel. Mm -hmm. And I can't recall if there's a corresponding spirit for the other side, but Hmm. that you know, and and I know in Catholicism, Mm -hmm. and this is something that Blatty kind of cheated on. Mm -hmm. It's often more than one demon, Mm -hmm. and I understand why he put why he narrowed it down to one. It's only, mm. There's only one. Yes. There's only Although one. I, I would love to have heard, you know, you know, like the three-headed knight in Monty Python. I would have loved to have three demons arguing through rape. Well, what I I mean, like he he does have he does have uh, our Captain Howdy speaking in um, Karis's mother's voice, mm-hmm. and he's got Burke Dennings in there. He's 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 fooled Karis into thinking that there's more than one. Well, um, he does. He does. Like, yeah. But, but I mean, and the whole job is to fool. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you you that's that's the whole thing, but. In, in in Catholicism, there can be multiple demons that don't necessarily reflect anything about the person they're possessing. Mm-hmm. Right. In um, Protestant possessions, it's always some aspect of that person's personality has allowed this demon to come in. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, you okay. you are presenting. You know, it's it's like if you like to drink, then you have invited in the demon of alcoholism. 
Mm-hmm. If you like to gamble, you've invited in the demon of gambling. Right. So so these demons and the rules for these types of demons are are that they're like an enzyme and a protein, right? Like they're they're matched to each other specifically. And, right. And yeah. and this demon doesn't have any effect on you if you don't already have that weakness there. Right. Oh, huh, okay. That's and really so great. like if 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 like there's a demon of um uh, chocolate chip cookies, but you're, <laughs> you like, you like oatmeal raisin. <laughs> so that demon's like, oh no. No, if you like oatmeal raisin, then you're the demon. <laughs> <laughs> hey now, hey. You no, know, my, my best friend shares that opinion of oatmeal raisin. <laughs> no, you know. It's, I resemble that remark. <laughs> it's like the TLC, Mark. Oatmeal raisin would be a perfectly fine cookie if no one had invented the chocolate chip cookie. We would have been like, this is the Sweetest, most delicious thing I've ever tasted, but now, now it's not. Sorry, <laughs> there's chocolate chip cookies. I tell you, folks. I tell you. I mean, not to, not to get blasphemous here, because we don't do that on the Exorcist Minute. Um, but if the Last Supper, if at the Last Supper Jesus had had taken an oatmeal raisin cookie, <laughs> said, "Take this, all of you." Because this is delicious, no matter what Keenan says. <laughs> Jesus is no idiot. He he found the no. blandest, most inoffensive <laughs> thing possible—a piece of bread. Mm. Wait, wait, wait! You're <laughs> saying that bread is inoffensive? Have you have you have you been to L.A., sir? <laughs> Where bread can kill you or your career? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> everyone, everyone is allergic to gluten. I don't I don't know enough about. Um, you know, Middle Eastern biblical history to know mm-hmm. if whatever bread they were using was gluten free or not. Oh. <laughs> That's a good question. That actually, yeah. Or maybe, right? maybe you know, by using it in the ritual, it becomes gluten free. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're if we're going by the Catholics, the trans- transubstantiation, yes, uh, it's it should be all protein then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I just want I just want to save us emails. Um, we we know that gluten is a protein, so <laughs> don't, don't go right don't write in. <laughs> I love how I love how I say this incredibly <laughs> blasphemous thing, this incredibly offensive thing, to my fellow Catholics. Yes, and and you, sir, Keenan, mm-hmm. you jump in and you're just like, I just want to save us all emails. <laughs> yes, and you apologize for me getting something about gluten wrong. I know, I know what will result in the emails <laughs> is is when we say that an ape is a monkey. Uh-huh. <laughs> that gets emails, so uh-huh. we have to distinguish chimpanzees or apes and not monkeys, right. yes. and, and anything about gluten. <laughs> so oh. gluten is a protein. Yes, that's the that's the seventy third spirit that Solomon <laughs> summer summoned. That's that's gluton. He did the catering for the Temple of Israel. No. So actually, Alex, another question that I had, um, we touched on it a little bit when we were talking about like the rules um, of uh, of telling like a certain story. Like we mentioned like Dracula. It's like, how do you write a vampire novel without kind of like butting up against Dracula? And it seems like whenever we have these types of stories, we have something about vampires or ghosts or zombies or demons. It, it always the responsibility of explaining the uh, the trope kind mm-hmm. of like gets baked into the thing. It's like it's it's almost as if everybody in that story has never heard of a vampire or a demon or a werewolf. And so the hero or the protagonist has to kind of like, no, you don't understand. These things come out at night and they drink blood and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, so how did you, how did you get around that with uh, with with demons and possession and stuff like that? Well. Luckily, possession as a word mm. carries its own history with it. That word has become its its own thing, and it brings mm. all those connotations with it. So that makes it a lot easier. Mm. Now, when I was doing vampires, I, mm. I my main vampire was like a, a folkloric 19th century vampire pre-Dracula mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. is stuck, you know, stabbed with a, with a magical knife and stuck in a coffin and mm. is awakened in the 1970s and he meets vampires who only know about their own nature from movies. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he knows that of course a vampire can go out in the sun, you know, they're, Mm. they're weak when they do it. They don't have all their powers, but they're not going to burst into flames. And Mm -hmm. and these other vampires think, Oh no, no, we can't do that. We'll, you know, we'll, so that's how I dealt with that. I like that. I didn't, I didn't have a problem with, that I felt needing to explain too much about possession because again, it's Mm. such a, it's such a simple idea and it brings with it so much stuff that's baked into the culture Mm. that, you know, I, I I don't think you, you run into that problem as much as you might with 
vampires or even zombies, you know, because, and again, you can all, you can always make up your own rules, particularly with possession, because you're dealing with true supernatural incorporeal things, Mm -hmm. vampires Mm -hmm. and zombies, they're walking around, you know, Mm -hmm. you can, you can walk up to them and thump them on the head, but you can't do that with a demon. So a demon can be anything. It can look like (laughs) it. But again, if you read descriptions of what some demons look like, you're not going to make up anything better. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you go with the folklore because it's good. <laughs> it stood the test, as it were. Well, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And, it, you know, it was created by believers, mm-hmm. you know, who whatever was in their incense made them see these things. And it's great. Mm. Now, could we talk a little bit more? Could you uh, tell us a little more from your experience about uh, praying deliverance, which is uh, the Protestant version, I suppose, of uh, exorcism? And what's that like at something like a tent revival, which is um, at least the versions in your novel, Dandelion, are, you know, um, charlatans, you know, right. uh, versus the, the the real, you know, the ones who are believers in your book? Oh, but you're, you're implying by that that I've ever encountered believers. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I will say that the people who mm-hmm. seek deliverance mm-hmm. are usually believers and they, be- yes. they are sincere mm-hmm. in their belief that they need deliverance from the devil, from demonic right. influence. And usually what that will involve is going up to the front when the, there's, you know, the call for people to come up. A lot of times they're, they're in tears. They may be speaking in tongues, which is, is a whole other phenomenon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the preacher will, Accost them with a Bible, um, not holy water. That's not really used in mm-hmm. Protestant mm-hmm. stuff. But he mm-hmm. will accost them with a Bible. He will get um, helpers to hold them so that he can get right in their face and you know yell at the demon to leave. Press the Bible against the top of their head and tell the demon to leave. And it's the person experiencing all this who's believing that this is really happening. Mm-hmm. They're for whatever reason, pretending, I don't want to say pretending, they're resisting. The demon is making them resist, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The the minister is telling them, you know, that, you know, Jesus is driving you out, and they're saying, no, he's not, no, he's not, I'm not leaving. Mm -hmm. It's it's very theatrical. It's Mm. it's not, I always always think, my my experience with actual Catholic services is very Mm -hmm. limited. I've only been to a couple of them. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. they are very somber affairs, and they have the weight of those years and centuries mm-hmm. behind them you know? right mm-hmm. and exorcism in in the catholic church is no different you know it's a serious thing right mm. it is not a show for people to see right but mm. in the, particularly in tent revivals it's all a show and like i like i say in the book uh, you know it's not unusual for someone to be seated in the audience to get things started mm. um as in a plant somebody who's planted yeah, in the yeah. audience right mm-hmm. you know, somebody ah. to just just show what needs to be done. You know, you go up, you you fall to your knees, you get yelled at, you know, and then mm-hmm. when it's over, you cry and you're carried off. Once people see what's going to be done, it makes it a lot easier for them to be, you know, follow. They don't want to be the first mm. one, but they don't mind being the second or third. Yeah. Right. And it's, mm. you know, it's, I hate to say it, it's fun. It's, fun. <laughs> it's designed you, to be fun. As long mm. as you're not, you know, invested in it. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's entertaining. Right. And these mm. guys, you know, the cliche of the pompadour and of the, you know, the guy with the, the big belly and his shirt unbuttoned and big mm-hmm. sweat stains under his arms. That's, that's a cliche for a reason. <laughs> you know, that happens. I, I have mm. personally seen that. So, well, that, that speaks, I guess, of another Southern Southern character, which is Elvis Presley, right? So yes, yes. <laughs> who, who you talk about in your book a, a little yeah, bit. Yes. You're not kidding. It's almost, <laughs> I, I had a friend who said that if there ever was an apocalypse in the mm-hmm. South, you would find you would start after a few years to find Elvis on the cross because <laughs> oh people would get, get the two things mixed up, mm-hmm, combine mm-hmm. them, and I'm not sure he's wrong. <laughs> right, so you so that's Elvis in your future uh, yeah, Southern yeah. world. <laughs> Oh wow! Um, so in this uh, this tent revival, I, I haven't been to a tent revival. Like I said, I'm scared mm. of, of being seen as someone who who is there. Um, you know, partially I don't want I don't want believers to you know sort of sense my um, my disbelieving, <laughs> and then I don't want pe- people to look at me and go, "Oh, you're here to to make fun of or whatever." So so I'm very interested in this world. Um, but as you put it in in your in your novel, Dandelion, like there are even people who are being dragged to these things, um, you know, by their relatives. Right. Yeah. So it's like a mother who's mm. bringing you and like, you need to come down here and you need this. It's, it's, uh, and we need to do it in public for some reason. Like why, wh- mm. what do you make yeah. of that? Like, why does it need to be in public? Well, 
so that in the case of, of the book, it's so that the mm-hmm. mother can show that she's trying to get the devil out of her son to all her friends. Right. Uh-huh. Because her, you know, mm. her son is, is well known as a, well, we'll say a ne'er-do-well. <laughs> right. Has he ever done well? I don't believe so. Uh, no. <laughs> ne'er. Ne'er done well. Both the raven, ne'er more. Right. So it's more about about the mother or the family member showing to the uh, the rest of the town that that even if he doesn't um, get cured of his uh, of his ailment, she's done her part. Right. And you uh. you can't really overstate the importance of being seen at church. Mm-hmm. Because, hmm. You know, most of the time, nobody wants to get up early on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, I'd even bet most ministers would rather not. <laughs> But we, you know, we all know we have to. So, mm-hmm. and if, you know, if we're going to do it, we're going to make sure people see us do it. Right. And I can see a devil character just kind of like pointing that out to everyone. It's like, <laughs> none of you want to be here. <laughs> Priest doesn't want to be here. The parishioners don't want to be here. Let's all just sleep in. Right. You know. The only one who wants to be there is the band, is the Christian rock band. Because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, otherwise they wouldn't have an audience. Sorry, right. You've got a gig. Right. Yeah, if I ever if I ever do a sequel to that book, it's mm-hmm. going to involve a megachurch and it's mm-hmm. going to involve their band because that's just too rich. Mm. Right. Well, that's something I was wondering because you you have a, a couple of series of books and this one is a one-off as of now. And uh, yeah. is there a difference when you're writing or when you're conceiving them? Um, you know, Blatty didn't write The Exorcist knowing he was going to write uh, Legion, the sequel to The Exorcist. Right. right. Yeah, so how is that for you? Well, sometimes you do and sometimes you just don't. You You, I mean... I if I don't write a sequel to Dandelion, I'm quite happy with it as it is. Mm-hmm. I have to have an idea that's good enough to make me want to do it, and mm. and that's not going to tarnish the reputation of the first book. Right. I, I all my books, even the ones in series, I've written so you can just pick them up and read them. If you've never read mm. anything else of mine, they're all standalones. Mm-hmm. If you do read them as a series, you get more out of them. You see connections and threads and things like that. But I've never done one of those series where it's it's established as a series from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just kind of not interested in that because as a reader, nothing bug, bugs me more than picking up a book that looks great and you read the back description and the story sounds great, and then you find out it's book three of the Gregorian <laughs> wow. Pentavenet or something. Oh god! And you you know you can't you literally can't get into it because you don't have the background. I don't want people. I don't want anybody who's looking at my stuff to have that problem. Oh, this book features the 42nd demon in the Lesser Key of Solomon. I got to read 41 of these things. And that that's one of the the strong things I think about Legion is it mm-hmm. is a fine standalone novel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I I would honestly say I enjoy rereading that one more than I do The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The Exorcist, yeah. you know, The Exorcist is hard going. It, it goes some uncomfortable places. Mm-hmm. And Legion, I think because it focuses on Kinderman, doesn't because he's mm. he's the detective. He's outside of what's happening. Yeah. You know, even though it you know involves the what do they call him in the book? Tommy Sunshine. Yeah, Mr. Sunshine Mr. or Mr. Sunlight, I believe. Sunlight, yeah. yeah, Mr. Sunlight. You know, mm-hmm. even though there's the connection there is is crucial to the story, it's mm-hmm. still not. Kinderman's not in danger. Kinderman mm-hmm. is you know nobody close to Kinderman is in danger. It's him going through and trying to solve a mystery, and that's mm-hmm. just more enjoyable to read. I think. Mm. Interesting. But yeah, I've all, and I, I still think I love the ending of Legion. I think it is mm. one of the most hopeful endings I've ever read in anything because mm. it earns it. it you know, yeah. it gets to the despair, the heart of the despair in the story. And by mm-hmm. the end, you know, when Kinderman sees the the grill cook, I get, <clears throat> spoiler, oh, spoiler, spoiler wall, everybody. <laughs> when Kinderman sees the grill cook giving the homeless guy some food. He realizes, you know, that despite all the threads of evil he's seen, there's also all the same threads of good. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's kind of the point of the exorcist as well, but yeah. it doesn't come across. I don't think, I don't think it comes across as cleanly. Mm. The, that, that actually is one of the reasons I like, uh, Blatty's works is because he, he goes to these really, really scary places, right? We're talking about hell. We're talking about demons and, and eternal damnation and, you know, the nothingness of death. But like, he always tries to instill, I mean, we talk about it on our show, like that we have the, we have the three, like 
evil, scary themes, right? You know, isolation, doubt, and despair. But then Blatty brings conviction, communion, and hope to to all of the works that I've read of his so far. Yeah. Um, he, and he tries to he tries to end his books on on those themes. Is is what I come to find. Mm-hmm. Well, I've 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 read I read Demeter, and I read yeah. mm-hmm. one called. Is it called Everywhere or Everwhere? So I think that one is Elsewhere. Elsewhere, uh, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah and that one, I, I wasn't that impressed. Mm-hmm. And I got, I got to admit, I have not been that impressed with Blatty as a writer overall, mm. unless he's got an amazing idea, mm-hmm. like The Exorcist mm. or like Legion, or mm. like I will assume, you know, Twinkle 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 Killer Kane. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know that story, and that's a great idea too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't, have you read Demeter? Mm-mm. Yeah, Demeter. Mm-hmm. No, no. When he was really, I have it, but I haven't read it. No. Yeah, Demeter. He had the same editor that I had for about my first ten books. Oh, cool. Uh, and I tried to, I tried to arrange a meeting, but I was never able to. <laughs> but Demeter is. It's a strange idea, and I don't think he mm-hmm. completely pulls it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the problem with 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 a writer like Blatty, who use, who's so, I don't want to say purple, but he's his his style <laughs> is very lush. Yeah. Are we talking about alien code tapped out by a dead man? <laughs> <laughs> his style is is very lush, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's not always. Again, you got to have the right idea to support that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I, I you know, obviously he definitely hit it in The Exorcist, and I think he hit it in Legion. Mm-hmm. And having two amazing books out of a you know his his fiction career, there's not a lot of material there. So having two great books out of that is not a you know it's not a bad average oh sure yeah <laughs> but i do think yeah i think i think uh i think the exorcist pretty much uh you know wrote him his ticket right yeah, yeah. and there was it and why wouldn't you if you were in that position write whatever the hell you want <laughs> you know the the thing about the thing about writers is we never know when we're good we never know when we're bad <laughs> we we only know that we're doing the best we can Mm-hmm. Mm. Is that true of podcasters? Can no, not at all. We're no, doing no. so good. Okay, we're always good. <laughs> we're okay. always so just, good. Okay, People just, need just, to know what yes. we're thinking about okay, okay, at okay, all okay, times. Okay. I was scared for a second. Okay. <laughs> well, Alex, uh, before we let you go, uh, because mm. we're sort of in our area now where we're talking a lot more about myth- uh, the mythology, the apocrypha, etc., uh, mm. I was interested if you could tell us a little more about uh, your Tufa series, um, which is a uh, it's a creature I wasn't familiar with until I started uh, looking into your work. Okay, well, mm. the Tufa series is six novels. And it's completed, so if you start it, you'll find your ending. <laughs> and you could, I, I have read that from people, you could pick them up in any order and it, right. it's all it's all. But if you do read them oh, in order, good. you'll see definite connected threads and progress right. with the characters. But anyway, mm. it's about a um, group of Celtic fairy folk who have lived in the Appalachian Mountains since before any European settlers got over here, and they've just managed to kind of blend in. They... You know, they look like anybody else. They drive trucks. They go to work. They, you know, the the main character in the first novel, she joins the army. Hmm. And, but the the theme of the series is they've been, they've hidden for so long, but now you can't hide anymore. The world has become too connected. There's too many, you know, there's too many people knocking at their door. (laughs) What do they do? Right. Hmm. And, you know, it's probably my favorite thing that I've done because there's a lot of uh, personal stuff in there. And Mm. I really, really enjoy it. And the interesting thing that sort of developed around that is the titles of the books all come from the work of a singer-songwriter named Jennifer Goree, who's from South Mm. Carolina. And Mm -hmm. another band who are friends of mine called Tuathadia have also done songs based on the titles of the books. Oh. <laughs> Completely unrelated to each other. Mm-hmm. And they're and all great. symbiotic relationships. Yeah, oh. yeah. They're, they're all great stuff. And hmm. there, you, <laughs> there is nothing more cool than hearing a great song based on something you wrote. Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> there really isn't. One day, Keenan. One day. <laughs> There'll be a song about the Exorcist Minute. <laughs> and and it, the, the title will be The Whole Time. <laughs> Nothing to do with with the Exorcist at all. It'll, just... It'll be whoops the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, these these two sounds yeah. so interesting and like and like taking a, a, a mythic race and or mythic characters and putting them into a culture we don't associate them with. That yeah. that's really neat. Well, thank you. I thank you. I am such a fan of that. Like like that. As soon as you started describing it, I started thinking of like Neil Gaiman and his like um, American Gods book and and just like yeah the, the the urban fantasy like modern mythology aspect to it like and and I love that stuff. So now I'm gonna have to go uh, check out the Tufa series. Yes, as well. you, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> right, I've heard of it. Alex commands you. <laughs> yes, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> and the power of Alex compels you as well, listeners. Check out Dandelion by Alex. Blake so and his other books the tufa series and all of the other wonderful books he has written um we are so glad that you uh that you joined us today uh and that we got to pick your brain a little bit alex thank you so much for coming on the show well, thank you guys for having me i love the show and i'm really Aww. honored to be part of it now Oh my Aww, goodness! And yes. Alex Bledsoe will be back to talk about <laughs> minutes of a movie once we are back onto our regular series. Absolutely, yes, yes I will. Yes. Mm, so he has, yeah, he has his minute reserved. Um, <laughs> and perhaps Keenan. Do you think there's 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 room in one of Alex Bledsoe's novels for two chuckleheads who host a podcast? <laughs> right, but they but they uh, they don't know that they're selkies or something like that. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're they're gremlins who hate technology. <laughs> <laughs> or they don't know they're in hell. They don't know they're in hell they the whole time. Yes. No, 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 no. The whole the, time? <laughs> the listeners are the ones who are in hell. <laughs> <laughs> this is your punishment. Yes, yes, all of you are dead right now. No. Remember that grape you stole from the supermarket before paying? <laughs> the exorcist minute remembers. And there's a grape demon coming for you. Oh, oh yes. The gra- what, a, the great, grape, a great, no, the oh, grape a great, a grape demon. demon. <laughs> oh, yes. He was he was the demon of, of alcoholism and wine, but then he got demoted, and now he's just grapes. Mm-hmm. He's the raisin. And if he messes up this one, it's going to be raisins. He's raisins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Going to be raising this demon from the. No. Uh, 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 there we uh. go. I'm going to use that joke. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Mm-hmm. You heard it first here. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I, that's that's all of my notes. Uh, Keenan, how about you? Is there anything else? No, I think we got it. Folks, this has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. I've been Lester Ryan Clark. You can reach me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark. And I've been Keenan Diaz. You can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd as Howdy Keenan. And yeah, Alex, where can folks find you? Oh, they can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Threads now, because I'm off Twitter. Mm, threads. <laughs> and what, is what is this new thing <laughs> called Threads? <laughs> and AlexBledsoe.com. AlexBledsoe.com. Folks, go check that out. Um, we got our listener group, Compelling Conversations. Go check that out as well and request to join and we'll let you in here with us. Thank you so much to everyone who has shared the show by word of mouth or on social media and a big thank you to everyone who has given us a five-star ratings on iTunes or Spotify and wherever you listen to our show. We really appreciate it. That's going to help our little podcast grow and find more cool people like you and like Alex. Um, and yeah, folks, we want to say thank you again for sticking with us even though we're not talking about the movie at this time. We promise we're not going anywhere. We will start up our normal movie episodes after we have won this strike. Uh, We have episodes in the can, uh, but we are standing in solidarity with SAG-AFTRA and the WGA. Okay. Keenan, Alex, are you guys thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. I'm pretty sure I am, Lester. All right. Folks, until next time. The The power power of strike strike compels you. you.